0: to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au. All right, all right. It's so good to be back here with you. It's an honor uh, to spend the day with you guys. I hope you, I hope you really like that. I hope Jesus gets bigger. The cross works better. The resurrection is central. And scriptures get bigger, not smaller. I hope you leave today with more questions about the Bible and not less questions so that we talk about these things um, instead of being static in how we look at them. And so uh, I think it's a, a beautiful way to do it. It's an honor uh, to share a stage with my good friend, Braun Bonnell and, and Darren and, and the team here. I just I love these guys. Uh, I think uh, Ben and Libby Staines, they're the reason I'm actually Ben and Libby Staines uh, from Generosity Church introduced me to Darren and Braun and that's how this whole thing worked. It always, it always works when someone kindly thinks about you and, and, and speaks well of you, and and, and that's just a, a great way of, of passing it forward, and they've all become um, my good friends. If you'd like to follow along in an actual Bible, let's look at Ruth. I want to tell you the story of, to me... It is just my opinion. It, I think she's the bravest person in the whole Bible. She's not just the bravest woman; she's the bravest person. And so, um, I want to tell you her story, and maybe in a fresh way, maybe in a way that that we haven't um, we haven't seen before. And and if I was going to title this something, I would title it "How to Unstick Your Life." Right. So, if you're feeling a bit stuck, um, how how do you unstick your life? And I want to I want to read you this amazing narrative that actually is is quite a horrible story when you first start reading it. It, it, it actually the way it reads at first, um, if you're not ready for something sad, you would just put it down. So if you could bring that first slider for me. This is Ruth chapter 1, uh, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled. So Ruth is like second judges. It's, uh, it's, it's, something, it's happening sometime during the book of Judges. It doesn't tell you where, but it does tell you something about it. Uh, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Uh, The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Maion and Kilion, and they were Ephratites from Bethlehem and Judah, and they went to Moab to live there. Let's stop right there, and let's just think about this, not doctrinally, let's think about it emotionally. This is not just stress, this is distress. A family of four does not have enough food to eat, and they have to take refuge in another country. This is sad, devastating, horrendous. This story is quite awful. It's full of not just stress distress and then the more you read the worse it gets watch this This it's going to get worse before it gets better next slide now Elimelech Naomi's husband died that's stress that's more stress this is this is a crazy sort of thing and she was left with her two sons and they married Moabite women now that is a no-no we'll talk about that in a second one was named Orpah and the other Ruth and after they lived there about 10 years sometimes the Bible just fast forwards in details it's like ten, moving forward in further action. After they lived there about 10 years, Mayan and Kilion died. Now, if you're paying attention, every man in this story dies. Every man in this story dies. This is horrendous stuff. And in that day, women were not considered people unless they were tied to a man. Okay, They were called, social historians have called women of that time liminal people. You didn't know, they, they didn't know what to do with you people. They didn't know what to do. What do you do with a woman who doesn't have a man? Now, I know that sounds awful and far-fetched, but just a couple of, just a couple of observations about this. If you're thinking the world's getting worse, please think again. Compared to when? This is no time better than today to be a woman. Then, then now, is God done redeeming women's rights? No. Is it better? Yes. Not even close. And, and unless you think this is far-fetched, it wasn't until 1919 that the United States of America thought women were smart enough to vote. That's 100 years ago. Now, they voted twice, and we had the Great Depression, so I'm not sure how all that worked. But nonetheless, I'm I'm joking. I'm joking. The Great Depression was caused by white men in suits allowing people to buy stocks on credit. There we go. So, so this is this is stressful. Every man, you you're now you got three single women with no rights, with no way to support themselves. She was left with her two sons and her husband. This is awful. You start adding up, you start adding up the things not going so well in this story. It gets pretty daunting. I made a list. Next slide. <laughs> She's living in the wrong time period, the time of the judges. You don't want to live then. There was no police. There was no government social safety net. There was nobody to protect you. Everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. The the, the book of Judges is the walking dead on speed. It is is the strongest tribes and clans dominating the weaker ones. It was awful. You didn't want to be alive then. And And then you add to that the stress of a famine. Man, that is some crazy stuff. You didn't want to live in that time. She's in the wrong country. She's in Moab. They were hated. I'll explain that in a second. She's the wrong gender. She's a female. You want to be a female back then. Being a woman today rocks. Being a female back then, you literally were not a person. This is a crazy sort of time to be alive. She's the wrong race. She's a Moabite. That was a no-no. They were the most hated group of people. I'll explain that in a second. And she's married to the wrong husband, right? She married an Israelite. But it wouldn't have been her choice, right? Like, this is how marriage worked back then, ready? This is how it worked. You had your period. Within six weeks, it had been arranged for who you were going to marry, how you were going to marry them, and what you were going to get in return for that. They used their 13-year-old girls as bartering chips to get money, protection, food, whatever, for sometimes barbarians. You don't want to be around that. You don't want to be alive. So, so, so when people say, we stand for biblical marriage, please be more specific. Okay, <laughs> I know what you mean by that, but that's in there, too. Okay? Now, think about this. Wrong place, wrong time, wrong gender, wrong race, wrong husband. What do you call that? That's called stuck. That's called stuck. That is literally a stuck life. I'm living in, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like you were a bit stuck? Like you ever woke up in the morning and thought, oh, I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time. married to the wrong dude you ever woke up at four in the morning because your spouse is making noises that shouldn't come out of anybody's mouth and what actually woke you up was a little bit of bladder pressure and 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 you think you think yourself i can sleep through this it'll be okay but then the noise makes it impossible right so you finally give in and you're just you're just looking at him and, and 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 he's getting more and more disgusting by the second you know and the Aerosmith song, I can stay awake just to hear you breathing, is taking on a whole nother thing. And you finally can't take it one more second. Not one second can you take it any longer. And so you give him a big nudge. And the logic is, if I nudge him hard enough, he'll come out of REM sleep just long enough for me to fall asleep before he starts making noise again. And you give him this big nudge, you know. And, he, and it nudges him, and you overplay your hand a bit. It nudges him too much. And at just the right angle, he turns. And he blows all of his 4.30 a.m. morning breath all over you. <laughs> and you think, oh, yeah. Till death do us part. Wrong place, wrong time, wrong gender, wrong race, wrong husband. That's stuck. Now, normally, with Scripture, right? When you read the Bible, you want to ask a few questions. One, what happened? And two, and more importantly, what's happening in me right now because of it? Okay? Now, when you, when you look at Scripture, most of the time, there's a history story underneath the story that makes the story make more sense. And most of the time, it makes the story better. Lots of examples of that, not enough time right now, right? Where, the, where, where something that appears awful... Actually, when you understand the history of it, it makes it better, right? And there's a, this is no different, except for there's a huge history story behind this, but it doesn't make it better. It makes it worse. See, see, the book of Ruth is actually a story that starts with Abraham. Let me see if I can summarize this before we go forward. Guy named Abraham, guy named Lot. They go their separate ways. Lot becomes the father of the Moabites. Abraham becomes the father of the Israelites. So this story is actually about the reconciliation of a family. Even though they don't really, I don't think they know their family because it had been so long. So here's what happened. Abraham becomes the father of the Israelites and they end up in slavery in a place called Israel and then God gets them out of slavery. And they come out of the Red Sea and the first people they run into are their ancient cousins, the Moabites. I don't think anybody knows they're related, but that's who they run into. And the Moabites are led by a king named Balak. Now, this is such an important part of Jewish history. It takes up four full chapters of the book of Numbers to tell the story. Okay? Now, four chapters in the Bible is a saga. That's like the Shawshank Redemption. Okay? And so I'm going to just summarize the story, and then I'll read a few passages after I do that. Okay? So here's what happens. guy named Balak king of Moab, sees these people coming out of Egypt. Now, Balak has three choices. Choice one, hi, welcome. Overpopulation is not a problem. Please pick a place to settle. He does not choose that. Door number two was attack them and kill them. But evidently he was greatly outnumbered, so he doesn't choose that. So he chooses door number three. Door number three was hiring a foreign Aramite witch doctor worshiper of Ramon named Balaam who is a professional curser. Pay him a fee to curse. And the idea was is that if Balaam curses the people, then they'll be weakened and I'll be able to attack them then. He chooses that. So here's what happens. He hires a foreign Aramite witch doctor worshiper of Ramon named Balaam to put a curse on the people. Balaam takes the fee opens his mouth to curse, and nothing comes out of his mouth except a blessing. Now, this surprises Balaam and Balak. Balak's like, were you confused? Maybe it's your vantage point. They do this three times from three different vantage points. And Balaam can't do anything but bless the people. Now, if you're paying attention, not only, Balak's got a problem. Because now, not only are these people not cursed, they're actually, yeah. This is a problem. So he has to come up with another option to get their God to turn on them. That's the basics of the story. Let me read you the actual scriptures in snippets that put that story together. Next slide. So Balak said, a people have come out of Egypt. He doesn't even know who they are. He doesn't know what their name is. And they've, they've covered the face of the land and have settled next to me. Now come put a curse on these people because they're too powerful for me. Perhaps then I'll be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know whoever you bless is blessed, and whoever you curse is cursed. So they believe that Balaam was really, really good at this. Next slide. So watch, watch what happens. So the elders of Moab, there's Moab, and Midian left, taking with them the fee for divination. So they, they, they pay Balaam a fee to divinate. Balaam shows up to divinate, and it doesn't go well. Next slide. So Balak said to Balaam, What have you done? I brought you here to curse these people. Now you've blessed them. And he answered, must I not speak what the Lord has put in my mouth? Stop. Let's talk about this for a second. When Balaam says, I've inquired of the Lord, and he put something in my mouth, who's he talking about? He's not talking about God. He's talking about his God. He's talking about the God Ramon. That's who he worships. He doesn't know the Israelite God. He doesn't even know they're called Israelites. He doesn't know. Here's what's happening in this story. A foreign Aramite witch doctor worshiper of Ramon named Balaam is inquiring of Ramon for a curse. And the living God of Israel is stepping over that and using a foreign Aramite witch doctor worshiper of Ramon to prophesy blessings over his people. Which leads me to this question. Is God allowed to do that? Okay, let's practice that. If I say, is God allowed to do something, the answer is yes. Okay? Is God allowed to use a foreign Aramite witch doctor worshiper of Ramon to prophesy blessings over his people? Really? He's not saved. He's never accepted Jesus. He's never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. He's never went through some odd ritual with three older women shouting unintelligible things over his head. Mm-hmm never what's happening in this story is God is stepping over every rule we have ever created about who could be used by God and who can't be used by God why because God loves people more than the rules we create that's why God loves people more than matter of fact if you read the whole story there's a talking donkey involved now this watch what happens next slide Now, when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, watch his response. He did not resort to divination as he had at other times. In other words, he was so used to cursing, and then he actually enjoyed blessing more. The theological word for this, by the way, is repentance. (laughs) It's changing the way you do things. But but he turned his face toward the end. Now, watch this. When Balaam saw, looked out, and saw Israel encamped tribe by tribe, the Spirit of God came on him, and he spoke a message. Is let's practice. Is God allowed to do that? Is God allowed to fill the mouth of a foreign Aramite witch doctor worshiper Ramon and use him to bless his people? Why? Because God loves people more than the rules we create. God loves people more than the rules. So Balaam speaks another blessing over these people. Now, this ticks Balak off. Like I mean, and and let's okay. Can you can you feel for Balak for a second? He paid whatever the fee is for divination, and he's not getting divination. He's getting blessing. This is a problem. Watch what happens. Next slide. He, 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 um, he calls him out on it. Then Balak's anger burned against Balaam, and he struck his hand together. He said to him, I summoned you to curse my enemies. Now you've blessed them three times. Now go on home. Leave. I said I would reward you handsomely. But the Lord has kept you from that. In other words, I hope you enjoy whatever relationship you have with this God, because He just kept you from getting paid, bro. Now, if you're paying attention to the story, Balak's got a problem. Not only are these people not cursed, they're actually blessed. So he has to come up with an idea, and he comes up with this idea. Now check this out, right? He comes up with this idea. Here's his idea. Now I, I see a couple of uh, of like younger children, like children in the room. So I I'm going to speak in code, but you adults. Pick up what I'm putting down, okay? Everybody pay attention. I know I just got everybody's attention. He's going to say something naughty. Check this out, right? This is what happens. Balak's idea was, I'm going to put on an outdoor festival as a celebration of praise to the Baal of Peor. Now, the Baal of Peor was the god of fertility who received worship through open public acts of a fertility ritual. That's pretty good right there. I don't care who you are. That's pretty good. Everybody putting up what I'm putting down. So he throws this outdoor immorality festival. And he tells the Moabite women. Your job in life. Is to seduce the Israelite men. Into doing this thing with you. And maybe we'll get God to turn on them. If they do that. And it worked. This is the very next chapter. This is Numbers 25. Watch this. While Israel was staying in Shittim. (laughs) Now that's funny right there. I don't care who you are. Because when you give in to Moabite immorality, it can put your life in a world of Shittim. While Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in immorality with Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifice of their gods. If you've ever thought the Bible's boring, think again. The people ate the sacrificial meal and bowed down before these gods. Israel yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and the Lord's anger burned against them. Everybody gets ticked off in this story. Everybody's ticked off now. Balak's ticked off. Balaam's ticked off. There's a talking donkey somewhere ticked off. God's ticked off. Moses is ticked off. And everybody starts overreacting. Balak overreacts. Balaam overreacts. Moses overreacts, which was sort of Moses' thing, you know. Moses, the problem is, Moses wrote his overreaction down. Where did he write it down? In the Bible. This is Deuteronomy 23. Word for word, Moses writes it down, and it becomes law. Deuteronomy 23, check this out. Oh, but you went one too far. 23 verse 1. No Ammonite or Moabite, uh uh-oh, or any of their descendants. Stop. In this story, who's a descendant of Moabites? Ruth. No Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants may enter to the assembly of the Lord, not even in the 10th. In other words, no matter how far down this gets, God will never. God will never accept Moabites. Now, is that true? Oh, don't think too hard about that. Ruth's a Moabite, which means David is one fourth Moabite, which means Jesus is like 128th Moabite. Oh, no. <laughs> and he goes on. He goes on to explain it, too. He's like, "For remember, they didn't come out to meet you with bread and water on your way when you came out of Egypt. They hired Balaam, the son of Peor from Fithor, in Aram to pronounce a curse on you. Like, remember what happened? Remember that? Next slide. Everybody remembers the Shittim incident. Come on. However, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but turn the curse into a blessing because the Lord your God loves you more than the rules. Do do not seek a treaty of friendship with them as long as you live. Okay, hang on. So so Deuteronomy 23 says you're not even allowed to be friends with Moabites. If you're not allowed to be friends with Moabites, would you be allowed to marry them? This story gets worse. Wrong place. Wrong time. Wrong race. Wrong race wrong husband. Now even the Bible forbids her presence. Oh no. Now with that as the historical background, let's see if this story makes a bit more sense. Watch this. Next slide. This is back to the book of Ruth. Well, when Naomi heard Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she'd been living and set out on the road that would take them back to Judah. Hang on. Judah would be under what law? Deuteronomy 23. And Deuteronomy 23 says, who's not welcome? Moabites. And who's a Moabite in this situation? Ruth. Can you see the tension building in this story? This is bad. This is bad. Next slide. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. Now, that advice makes sense. You're not going to be welcome in Israel. You don't even know why. I don't even know if I want to explain to you why, but it's this thing called the Shittim incident, and nothing to do with you. But because of that, Moabites are cursed, and they're not allowed. And the problem is, is that it's in the Bible, and once it's in the Bible, you can't go changing it, right? And so if you show up, there's going to be some jerk somewhere that's going to want to kill you or throw you out, and they'll actually have some sort of biblical rationalization for that. So, so you got to stay. You, you don't want to. You don't want to come back to Judah. Just trust me. You 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 can't live without a husband, and you can't marry Israelite men because we're forbidden from even being friends with you right may the lord show you kindness as though, as you've shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me may the lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband in other words you could see where the whole thing is we got to get you a man you know what? we got to get you a man right now check this out next slide at this they wept of course you would you're not welcome in my home of the, the course then and see the injustice here they welcomed Naomi into their home and it worked out well and now she's saying You can't because the law, Scripture says it? This is bad. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law's going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. What's Naomi doing here? Does Naomi not care about Ruth's soul? What if Ruth died in a donkey accident that night? What's going on here? Why would Naomi tell her to, well, in Naomi's world and in Naomi's perception, Naomi's mind, Moabite women are loved by Moabite gods and Israelite women are loved by Israelite gods. An Israelite god does not accept Moabite women. It's in the Bible. They got a verse. We got a verse for that, right? Now, Now, watch Ruth's response. This is what she's known for, but you put it on the historical backdrop. It is unbelievable. Watch this. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I'm going to go. Where you stay, I'm going to stay. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. Ruth, are you not paying attention? You have a Moabite nose, Moabite accent. There's this whole thing. Happened at Shittim, Balak, Balaam, cursing. Deuteronomy 23. The Bible clearly says you're not Welcome. Now, are we making this story come alive or what? Now, I'm going to stop and go real slow here. If you're an awful person, shut your ears off to me right now. Because nothing I'm going to say matters anyway. Okay, But if you're a good hearted person, let me address something that we all struggle with. All good-hearted followers of Jesus struggle with this. Ready? And if you don't struggle with this, you're not paying attention, or you need to get new friends, okay? So here's the thing. We struggle with the tension. In case you don't know this, I take the Bible very seriously. I've given my life to studying it. I've given my life to communicating it in the most interesting ways possible. I have made huge sacrifice to travel this world and be able to do it night after night after night after night. I take the Bible seriously. But what do we do when we're faced with a situation where there's tension between our call to love somebody And where that call to love somebody potentially violates Holy Scripture. Is everybody following me here? Like, we are called to love somebody. Maybe be more specific. We're called to love somebody, but there's something about them that is forbidden in the Bible. And we go, wait a minute, hang on. Where does my call to love them violate my call to, to revere Holy Scripture? And where does my call to revere Holy Scripture somehow violate my call to love them? Now, in this story, the Jews had to work out how do we love Ruth... when the Bible strictly forbids something about her, which was, in this case was her race. So what do we do with that? What do we do when we're called to love somebody but the Bible strictly forbids something about them, right? Now, haven't we had to, is this not relevant or what? Okay, and we do deal with this. And look, it's Saturday, you're in church. Let's just be brave. Let's call it what it is. Can anybody think of a group of people that the Bible calls us to love, but it also strictly forbids something about them? Like, anybody, anybody, just a group of people that just pop into your mind. And, and, and you struggle with the tension of our call to love them, and no one would say we shouldn't love everybody, but yet there's something about the way they choose to live their life that Scripture forbids. Anybody think of a group of people like that? Let's just, okay, let's be brave. Let's just call it what it is, right? Who am I talking about? I'm talking about the gluttons, right? I'm talking about the unrepentant overeaters. Because, by the way, the Bible strictly condemns gluttony 25 times more than it does the one you were thinking about. Okay. So, what I just did there is called judo. Now, what do we do if a busload of unrepentant overeaters shows up at your church tomorrow? I'm not talking about one lonely fat dude either. I'm talking about, oh my God, if they all showed up at once, we'd have to reinforce the floor. I'm talking about that. What do we do if a busload of gluttons shows up at our church tomorrow? How should we then live? Where does our call to love them violate scripture's forbiddance of their choice? What do we do? And we had better get this right. We'd better get this right. We have a choice, and the choice is this. We can be right about one verse in the Bible, or we can do something more profound than that, and we can fulfill Scripture. To fulfill Scripture is to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And when you treat people how you would want to be treated yourself, you have done something more profound than being right about it. You have now fulfilled the whole thing. And if you're here today and you're confused about Jesus at all, here's Jesus' message in a nutshell to his followers. Please be people who fulfill scripture instead of being right about one verse. Right? They had, hey, by the way, they had a verse that said stone adulterers. Would Jesus stone her? No, why? Because God loves people more than the rules. God loves people more than the rules. They had a verse that said you should stone Sabbath breakers. Would Jesus do that? No, Jesus didn't stone people for not taking Saturday off. Are you kidding me? No way. Why? Because God loves people more than the rules. And Jesus' whole thing was treat others as you would want to be treated. And in so doing, you can fulfill scripture, which is more profound than being right about one verse. And this story... The Jews in Bethlehem had to make a choice. Do we want to be right about Deuteronomy 23 and throw her out? You realize that all it would have taken was one Bible-thumping literalist. No! Moabite nose. Moabite accent. The Bible clearly says, out. And if they would have thrown her out, would they have been correct according to the Scripture at that time? Yes. But who would have never been born? David and Jesus. Jesus. It is much more empowering to you and to the world to be people who fulfill scripture instead of simply being right about one verse in it. All right. Now, what do we do with this story? Let's ask ourselves a few questions about how we should live. Next slide. So one question the book of Ruth is asking is, am I stuck with my lot in life or can I be empowered by a better choice? Nobody in this room has ever been more stuck than Ruth. Wrong place, wrong time, wrong gender, wrong race, wrong husband. Even the Bible forbids me. Imagine Ruth telling God about her life. How many excuses did she have to quit, to give up? Ruth had every excuse at her disposal to not move forward and give up. Which leads me to this question. What's been our excuse? What have we rested on, you know? And how does that compare to this courageous, inspiring woman? Next slide. At the end of the story, God uses Ruth as a part of the lineage that brings salvation to the world. In case you don't know, Ruth is the great grandmother of David and the 18 time great grandfather, great great grandmother of Jesus. So, so, in other words, you never know where taking the one next step changes everything for everyone. Ruth was changing her life and had no idea that we'd still be sitting here today because she was that brave and the people in Bethlehem were that kind. She had no idea. You never know where being kind to someone and fulfilling scripture instead of being right about one verse. You never know what that might do later. Never, ever, 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 ever. We've never won one person with cruelty or with poorly developed memes on the internet with hermeneutically questionable material. You never know, never know where that one next step doesn't just change your life, but changes everything for everyone. Which leads me to this question. Next slide. So what's been our excuse? Oh, Shane, it's my heritage, you know. It's my DNA. Oh, Shane, it's my background. You don't know where I came from, you know. Oh, Shane, it's my place of birth. Hey. (laughs) my place of birth. Of course, if you were born in Australia, shut up. Honestly, live in one of the top five greatest nations on the earth. A nation with motor cars, paved roads, stores that prepackage food for us, clean water in our tap, machines that do washing, other machines that do drying, world-class health care right down the road, and it's largely free because Australia lives with the conviction that quality health care should be available to all people regardless of social economic status. America's still debating this. Are you kidding me? This is Australia, man. If you can't make it here, where are you going to go? Oh, I don't have the skill. I don't have the skill. It's Australia. Go get the skill. The government will pay you. <laughs> Me and my American friend, we never heard of that stuff. We never heard of four weeks' vacation in our life. 17% loading. What's that? We never heard of it. Free health care. What? Shoot. <laughs> Believing the wrong story. See, the problem in this story is for Ruth, the wrong story was in Deuteronomy 23. Deuteronomy 23 declared that God would never accept her. And here's what she did, and this is what makes her so brave. She chose to put her faith in the character of a loving God instead of a list of rules. And that is, bra- that is brilliant before the full revelation of Jesus came forward. She, she knew, enough. she said, Naomi, if your God is 10% as nice as you are, I think he's going to love me more than the rules. I get that the rules say I'm not welcome, but I think he'll love me more than that. And I'm, gonna, I'm not just going to put my faith in that. I'm going to risk my life. I'm going to risk my life. They might throw me out and kill me, whatever. But I'm going to risk my life to change my life. And it ends up changing everything for everybody. So next slide. So here's some sticky things, things that'll stick your life. Excuses, that'll stick your life. That'll stick your life. Always thinking of why you can't, you know. Oh, I just can't. There's this and that. What? No. That'll stick your life. Excuses will stick your life. Uh, Living with other people's expectations in mind. Like if all we do is live for others' approval, let me be clear about this. If you never consider what other people think, that makes you a sociopath. So if people say, I don't care what nobody thinks, you're a sociopath. To never consider how your actions or inactions affect other people makes you a sociopath. But if you only consider what other people think, it'll stick your life. This is a great quote by Thomas Merton. He's brilliant. How can you expect to arrive at your destination if you're on the road to another man's city? In other words, if all you consider is what they think, you can't be surprised when you arrive where they want you instead of where you need to be. Next slide. Believing the wrong story. Believing the wrong story, that'll stick your life. Ruth had to put her faith and trust in the character of a loving God instead of the list of rules. That is massive. Unforgiveness and bitterness, that'll stick your life. Nobody had more of a reason to be bitter with her lot in life than Ruth. Wrong place, wrong time, wrong husband, wrong gender. Even the Bible says I'm not welcome. That is, that is stuck. That is stuck. So how do you unstick your life? How do you unstick your life? Let me give you two thoughts for your heart and one thought for your hands, okay? To unstick your life spiritually, you have to make two decisions. One, to live with a conviction that God loves people more than the rules. God loves people more than the rules. If that's not clear from the life of Jesus, then nothing is. God loves people more than the rules. God loves people more than the rules. Resist and just don't go on the internet at all with stupid stuff. But resist any message of Jesus that only tells people what they deserve. Because the gospel is this, that God doesn't treat people as they deserve. He treats people how they're worth. (sighs) That God loves people more than the rules. God loves people more than the rules. And grace has no meaning if it's not on the backdrop of what we would get if there was no grace. God loves people more than the rules. That's the first. God loves people more than the rules. God loves people more than the rules. I'm going to say it and say it and say it. God loves people more than the rules. The second decision is to make a commitment every day to fulfill Scripture instead of being right about one verse. Ask yourself, how would I want to be treated if I were that person? And if we treat people that way, then we fulfill Scripture. Think about it. There was a verse that said Jesus should stone the adulterer. Did he? No. What did he do? Instead of being right about that one verse, he fulfilled the whole scripture. How did he do that? He treated her how he would want to be treated. And how would you want to be treated if you were caught in adultery? First, you'd want to be let off the hook. And he lets her off the hook. And then he challenges her to change her life. That's exactly how you would want to be treated and how I would want to be treated. So two things for your heart. One, live with a conviction that God loves people more than the rules. Two, Live with the conviction that we should be fulfilling scripture instead of simply being right about one part of it. Okay, And, and I'm telling you, that second one will free you from, from the, the stress of my call to love someone versus honoring. That you can actually honor both by fulfilling instead of being right about one particular verse. Okay, All right, the, And if, the third thing is this. First, God loves people more than the rules. Second, fulfill scripture, not just be right about it. Third, and this is for your hands. Wake up in the morning and take your one next step to Bethlehem. Take your one next step without any guarantee of where the next one might be. You don't need to understand step two, three, four, five, and six. Just take the next one step. Do the next one thing you can do. Now, great teaching is not meant to be agreed with. Like if your only response to this, I love that, I agree with you. Okay, but or or, or disagreed with. If you think, I hate that, I disagree with you. You've also missed the point. Great teaching is meant to be wrestled with. It's meant to be discussed. It's meant to change our lives. So a couple questions to help us do that. Next slide. Of the sticky things, which is your biggest hurdle? Excuses, approval, obstacles, believing the wrong story, unforgiveness, bitterness. And where can we leave that at the foot of the cross today? What is your one next step to Bethlehem? And are you willing to take that step without any guarantee of where it might lead? Ruth could have died. But because she took that step, we're still here. What's your one next step? Maybe your one next step is spiritual. It's choosing to trust Jesus' version of your life story instead of the one you've been writing on your own. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe your next step is spiritual in the sense that, that you need to get involved with your churches all around the place. Instead of sitting on our butt waiting to go to heaven when we die... We can start giving our life to something here, now, today. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe your next step is being intentionally generous to the poor and the afflicted. Maybe it's that. Maybe, maybe your next step is vocational. Start the business. Oh, Shane, I hate my job. I hate my job. I'm just stuck in my job. I'm just stuck in my job. You ain't stuck. This is Australia. You're not stuck. Start a business. What's the worst thing that can happen? It doesn't work. And if it doesn't work what do you get to do? Go back to the job you hated. When the worst thing that can happen is already happening nowhere but up from there. Maybe your next one step is relational. Tell them how you feel. be normal about it. Don't have your left eye twitch when you say it. Don't say God said. I'm 43. And sometimes that triggers people to think God told them we were going to be together. And when they approach it that way, it's instant retreat. Somebody comes to me in the foyer and, hey, I think God said we're going to be together. (laughs) What? Lord, I'm fine being single. Here's the thing, right? If you want to tell them how you feel, do it normally. If you don't know what that is, here you go, ready? Here we go. Hi. Um, you seem like the kind of person I'd like to get to know better. Would you like to have a cup of coffee with me? I mean, put it out there a little bit. What's the worst thing that can happen? They throw up in their mouth a little? You know, <coughs> I don't know. Oh, that's the... <coughs> oh, is it... <coughs> Well, if they do that, at least you know. Next. (laughs) Maybe your next one step is a text, a coffee, a phone call that says this. I forgive you. Dad, I, I love the way Jesus framed forgiveness. Jesus framed forgiveness not as saying it wasn't wrong and not as forgetting about it, but as canceling debt. In other words, dad, you don't owe me anymore. Maybe you need to go to the cemetery and tell him, you don't owe me. I cancel your debt. Mom, I cancel your debt. Ex husband, we're not doing this again, but you don't owe me anymore. Ex wife, no way we're not doing this anymore. I cancel your debt. I I don't know what your next step is, but I do know this. If you'll live with the conviction that God loves people more than the rules and live with a commitment every day to fulfill scripture instead of simply being right about it. And you get up in the morning and you take your one next step to Bethlehem. I do know this. That is the way to unstick your life. So my sisters of New South Wales, May you realize the beauty of being the bride of Christ. May you recapture the beauty of the word Pentecostal. May we be known for being the kindest people in our cities instead of only the people who talk in tongues. May we be those people who fulfill Scripture instead of simply being right about one verse in it. May we live with the conviction and show it out that God loves people more than the rules. And more than anything, may you wake up tomorrow aware of the infinite possibilities God has for your life and take your one next step to... Bethlehem. Until I see you in the afternoon, everybody, grace and peace. God bless. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued, and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to northwestchurch.com.au. And thanks again for listening.